1: One constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. It hasn't happened at Fenway Park for 95 years. The Red Sox are world champions. Welcome in, everyone. This is, of course, Red Sox Beat. I am with my co-host, Nathan Rollins. Of course, my name is Jared Scali. We'll be joined by Sean Ferris of MLB.com in just a few moments, but before we do that, I just want to remind all of you to go on to the website, CLNSRadio.com, go to backslash Facebook or backslash Twitter, to go to our social media, to check out all of our works. So obviously, go to the website, check out all the written content, and then go to our podcast page. If you go to Stitcher or iTunes and just search CLNS in either of the search boxes, all of our podcasts will show up and the post game shows. We appreciate all the support we can get for everything, so please go on there and subscribe and rate and review and all that good stuff to really get our name out there, just like we always ask you to do each and every week, and we'd appreciate it if you could keep doing that as well. With the pleasantries out of the way, Sean Ferris now at MLB.com. Sean, how you doing today? Great, guys. How you doing? Good. Not too bad. Glad you could join us. usually a fantasy football writer for NFL.com this time of year. Hopped on to talk some Red Sox with us. Glad he could be here. Now, Sean, I'm going to ask, with a lot of the negatives that went wrong with this team, what do you think was the number one problem, if you can pinpoint just one, or what do you think really went wrong with the Red Sox this season?
2: Well, last year they really had kind of the it factor. Everything worked out in their favor. Everything that could go right went right for them last year. Uh, getting contributions from, you know, the Johnny Gomes, the Shane Victorino's of the world, guys that made huge contributions not only in the regular season, uh, but in the postseason as well. Um, a lot of the problem, I think, was just a lot of the maybe over-reliance on young players, guys that we expected to have big seasons or should have uh, show strides. You know, the Xander Bogards, uh, Will Middlebrooks, so you were hoping you got a little more out of. Jackie Bradley, obviously. Uh, those guys really disappointing for most of the season. Uh, didn't allow them to get any kind of momentum going early and it just got worse from there.
1: Now, there are a lot of negatives on this team like you just talked about and there's there's plenty of ways to point the finger at who could have been the fall here but we asked this to everybody when they come on the show with us and I really am curious to what you think is if you could pick one person if you can find a person who do you think would be the MVP of the Red Sox this year? I mean, just by default you gotta go with David
2: Ortiz just based on you know, his consistent production that he you know he does every year, 30 home runs, 100 RBIs. Uh, him hitting in the middle of that lineup, despite everything crumbling around him, still producing, gives you optimism for next season when they're a more relevant team, hopefully. Uh, and I think there's really no other candidate for team MVP than David Ortiz.
1: There's... It's probably, probably the one positive from this team this year, but I think the biggest negative for me in terms of from beginning to end of the season was really Jackie Bradley Jr. I think that he was, come, was priced as a starting center field this year, and he was giving his opportunity but really just didn't follow through. Do, do you think the Red Sox are finally giving up on Jackie Bradley, or does he get another shot and get on this club next year? I think the signing of Castilla kind of
2: a good indication that I think they're they're down with Jackie Bradley. I think, you know, a guy that came in with a lot of hype, uh, obviously good, supposedly good for his pitch recognition, recognition, playing great defense, which he still did this year. Uh, it's just he wasn't ready for big league pitching, clearly. You know, through a season and a half, so there's the guys that have passed him, and I don't really see him getting back into that and In, into that mix for the future for the Red Sox. I think he's just, you know, your basic standard change of scenery guy. Sean, a big question mark on this team next year is obviously third base.
0: We've seen Middlebrook struggle, and we've seen Ciccini come up. He's done some good things. We don't really see him as an everyday third baseman. Now, there's uh, Pablo Sandoval on the market. There's always maybe a Josh Donaldson trade that they can explore. Who do you see playing third base on this team next year?
2: Well, obviously, if you could acquire somebody like Donaldson with, you know, the plethora of young starting pitching, uh, we always know Billy Bean's a big fan of those guys, but I, I think the guy that they need to target, and I think that'll be the most economical for them, and that'll will be the best fit, and I think that's Trevor Ploof, believe it or not. I think he's a guy whose swing is made for Fenway. He's shown power in the past. I think he could be a solid guy, hit 250. 20-plus home runs, maybe 70 or 80 RBIs, uh, and not going to break your piggy bank So I think he's a guy that would be a good Yeah, I agree. I think Ploof would fit well on the Red Sox, too, and
0: I could most certainly see them going after that guy. And the last position I'd like to touch on, which is pretty big, is closer. Uh, we don't know if Koji's going to be coming back. Uh, De La Rosa's shown some signs of being able to close games. Do you see them going with a, a Barnes, at De La Rosa, or Going out and getting a close, and maybe like a Houston Street. What do you see them doing there?
2: Well, personally, I think I think they bring back Yuhar. I think, despite you know the way he kind of fizzled down the stretch last year, I think he's at his best when he's pitching. You know, in a pennant race, as a contender, I think he's shown obviously over the past couple seasons, and you know, obviously the great 2013. And he was very good for the early part of 2014, uh, I think he can he can be a guy that still shuts the door at the end. I think they need to bolster the bullpen in other ways. Uh, there's guys out there that I like. I think they need to add a left-handed arm. Maybe a guy like, uh, I know Phil Koch's out there. Uh, Neil Kotz, I think, would be a great fit, so I they need to bolster the bullpen in other ways, but I think you are still be a staple at the back
1: end of the bullpen for next year. Now, Sean, obviously we're talking a lot about the Red Sox here, and they're, they're obviously not playing. There's still plenty of baseball left going on. we got two great championship series going on as we speak right now, and my question to you about that is, going to leading towards the ALCS, do, do the fact that the Orioles and Kansas City both being in here kind of help the Red Sox mentality going into next year thinking, oh, okay, if these teams can do it without a solid ace pitcher, then we don't have to go out and get a number one, AK, like a going as high as Leicester and maybe do it with just a James Shields instead of just going out and trying to stack your rotation like Tigers do, and then they can't fall with their bullpen and can't win.
2: Yeah, I mean, I see what I mean, obviously Baltimore, uh, with what they've done, I think they would be more a, a model for that because personally I think James Shields is an ace uh, with the way he's pitched over the last uh last few years over the, almost the course of his career. I think he's a, a bulldog, a guy that goes out there every five days, gets a quality start. I like his demeanor on the mound. I also like his leadership. So that's a guy I would love for the Red Sox to sign, uh, knowing that he's available, even maybe even over Max Scherzer. He's the guy, to me, that I think they need to the target the most because he's pitched in the East before. Uh, he has that experience. But I think that is a good, you know, that's a good indication, those two teams being in it, uh, that they can maybe just focus on getting, you know, one guy and just run with young guys. Obviously, you know, Renato, Henry Owens, Brian Johnson, Matt Barnes, all these guys coming up. Ruby, obviously, already there. Alan Webster. I think these guys, they can, you know, have the competition where these guys emerge from it. And I think a few of these guys can end up being good major league pitchers. So I think that is a
1: good template for them coming into the 2015 season. Uh, shifting over the NL for a minute here, Sean, now, Cardinals and Giants heading up the NLCS here, and they've they've been either one of them have been going to the World Series for the last four or five years now. They've been alternating pretty much, and what I wanted to ask you is kind of in relation to the Dodgers and towards Clayton Kershaw. Now, we know how good of a year Kershaw had, but when it comes to his postseason numbers, they're kind of horrific. They're kind of scary to look at if you consider him the kind of pitcher he's been was all year and then comes to the postseason and just cannot get it done. Is it time to really question whether or not Kershaw is a pitcher that's really mentally stable enough and ready to win a World Series and push through that gap that he's made for himself here in the postseason? I
2: think I think he'll he'll make it there eventually. I mean, he's only he's still only 26 years old. People forget about this because he's about to win his, his third Cy Young. Uh, but for a guy that's you know, led the National League in ERA and walks plus pitch burnings pitch the last four seasons. Hasn't had an ERA over 1.83 in the last two years. Uh, it's, it's obviously been disappointing. Uh, you know, about the horrific numbers, you know, 5.12 career postseason ERA. And even in when the, the lights get a little bit brighter in the championship series, the ERA of 7.23. So, well, I think me, I think it's more. It might just be a little bit misfortune for him because I think he'll. He obviously has the talent and the ability and the composure and the poise to to pitch well in big games. Um, but you know, this could. The longer this goes on, the harder it's going to be for him. And if he doesn't maybe break through next season. It, assuming that the Dodgers make the playoffs again next season, then I think it could start to become a real black hole on his legacy as a pitcher.
1: Yeah, it's just really scary to me trying to see this guy who dominated all year and no one could really touch him, and then all of a sudden he just gets lit up, not in, in his standards, lit up really in the postseason, and you know, has only one win in his career postseason start, so it's really hard for me to sit here and not at least not question it, and that's why I bring it up, but... Staying with the Dodgers here for a minute. Uh, uh, big news, well, not really. I guess it's big news, but comes kind of hits here at the Red Sox Nation as well. Josh Beckett announced that he was going to retire after the season. Now that once they were knocked out, he announced he's retiring. He's not going to pitch next year. It's kind of a two-part question. Do you think it's the right decision, and how does it affect the Dodgers next year? And then how will he be remembered here as a Red Sox? Will he be remembered as? the guy that won him the World Series and came and did a great job in that sense or is he going to just be remembered for fried chicken and beer?
2: Alright, so first off I think it was the right decision for him to retire
1: mainly because
2: he hadn't pitched 200 innings or even close to it
0: <coughs>
2: uh, since since 2009. So, he had been in and out on the DL multiple times. Clearly his body was breaking down. Whether that's through chicken and beer I don't know. But he, he wasn't going to be a guy you could rely on in the rotation. I think he knows that, and I think he knew that, that's why he decided it was time to hang it up. As for his legacy, Red Sox legacy, the one thing I'll say is, despite his success in the postseason and for a few years with the Red Sox, I think he would be... More likely, he might be the only Red Sox, you know, postseason hero, and I, I read this the other day. He might be the only Red Sox postseason hero that would actually have to buy his own beer if he walked into a Boston bar. So I think, <laughs> I think from that perspective, um, it's, he's just, he's not going to be remembered in a positive light. I mean, the last, me personally, the last game I can, you know, vividly remember him pitching for the Red Sox was like in early 2007 against the Indians, and he gave up. You know, seven earned runs an inning and inning in a third and got booed out of Fenway. And, um, you know, it's whether it's a what have you done for me lately kind of thing or not, it's just he's not a guy that I see on the same threshold as, you know, David Ortiz, Kurt Schilling, all those guys. Just not for me.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of fans are going to kind of huh. look back, say thank you, but remember <laughs> what he did to ruin the Red Sox as well. I kind of have to go on that route. But one more thing before I let you go, Sean. I want a World Series prediction from you. Who do you have going? Who do you have going against each other? Who do you have bringing home the championship this year?
2: I got I got the Royals versus the Cardinals. I got a nice uh, Missouri matchup. Take that <laughs> East Coast West Coast media. Nice Midwest matchup for uh, for everybody. I think. Uh, and after that, from that point, I, I got the Royals in six games. I think like the Red Sox last year. They just kind of have the it factor. Guys stepping up, you know, they're running all over everybody. They have, you know, they're 13 out of 16 stolen bases. No other team has more than four stolen bases this postseason. Uh, they do the little things. They get clutch hits. They have a great bullpen, obviously, with guys, you know, everybody going 90 to 100, 789. Uh, everything I see from them just puts them on a collision course to the World Series for me this year.
1: Yeah, I have to agree with you, Sean. The Royals, I've been rooting for them for a while now because, like you said, they kind of have that it factor for me, too, as well. You just notice it, and they, you kind of see a little bit of 2013 Red Sox in them. So definitely something to look forward to. The rain out postponed a game for them, but that game that series continues now. They play a bunch of games in a bunch of days in a row now because of the rain. But either way, definitely something to stay tuned to. Sean, I want to say thank you again for joining us and hope to hear from you soon. And again, thank you, and hopefully you have a good day.
2: Absolutely, guys. Thank
1: for having me on. All right. That was Sean Farris, of, again, of MLB.com. Side note, he does give good fantasy football advice, so if you need to hit him up for that, too, go for it. He's it's a, definitely a good guy. He's helped me out a couple times. So uh, definitely hit him up that way, but definitely a good baseball writer for MLB.com. As you notice, he really knows his baseball. Now, Nate, one thing we just touched on him with him was Josh Beckett. What do you think Josh Beckett's legacy is going to be as a red, uh, looking at his Red Sox situation after he retires. Well, well, now that he is retired,
0: you know I think it'll be middle of the road. I mean, this guy was one of the best postseason pitchers that the Red Sox had ever seen when he came over here. What he did in the World Series run was just spectacular. And I mean, you know I think a true Red Sox fan won't forget those moments. And I think I don't think they'd let that overshadow the don't you know fried chicken and beer, whole Bobby Valentine, all this stuff. I mean. I think this guy will go down as, as one of the best Red Sox postseason pitches to pitch, and quite frankly, you now he's got the World Series to prove it. So I, I just don't think the fans will brush that aside.
1: Yeah, he now has two World Series, I believe, because won, he won one with the Marlins, right? Yep. Uh, if I'm correct. So now he has two World Series. I do say that a lot of us will remember the fried chicken and beer, and partially you're just going to remember him for being a good friend, because that's why they all did it, because they got along so well. So... I think Josh Beckett, for me, I'm I, obviously, for us at least, it's, we're going to remember the good stuff from the pitch, him pitching well in the World Series and just being that guy for us for so long. I think a lot of us are going to remember that. Obviously, we'll never forget the chicken and beer situation. And like Sean said, it'll probably be a guy who has to pay for a beer. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe some bartender in Boston will say, hey, this one's on us because and just make a joke out of it. Who knows? Sure. But another thing, I'll, I'll also never forget that sign from outside of the Popeyes at Fenway, official home of the Boston Red Sox, official chicken vendor, whatever it said. But it was a great sign. And I really good call there by Popeyes for pulling that one out. Um but yeah, Josh Beckett had a decent year this year. Looked good until he had some injury issues, and that's realistically why he's retiring, but did throw the no-hitter this year. So you can also add that to his resume as well. Um, but I, I think he, I think Sean's right. I think that he really does need to hang it up. I think at that time, I think overall, his career was success. It was a success. It was a great success, and I think that he really showed us why they got they went after him in the first place, they, why they traded Hanley Ramirez away to the Marlins to get this guy. They, you, he showed you why he was such a great pitcher, and he showed, even in, in L.A. Once he got out of Boston, they let him pitch a little bit, and he got healthy for a little while out there. He pitched well out there for the Dodgers, so I'll definitely have to give him his tip of the cap. I don't, I don't know about Hall of Fame numbers. It could be borderline, but I, he could get in. I don't know what your opinion on Nate, that is, Nate, but I think he could get in eventually. Might not be first bout, like Pedro, which is next year, but...
0: Yeah, he could get in. I mean, 138 wins and a 3 8, 8, excuse me, ERA in the regular season. Th- those are some pretty good numbers. I mean, the postseason run with the Red Sox in 07, that was just spectacular, and I mean, he could, he could definitely, he'll be a close call.
1: Yeah, definitely for sure. I think that he, like you said, he, his numbers are decent, and I think that I don't. I don't know if it'll be first ballot. It might not even be second ballot. But I, I think Beckett would get in. Um, like I said, not Pedro esque. He's not going to get in first ballot automatic. But I definitely think that they're going to look back. Baseball writers. That the, the baseball writers will look back and say, "Hey, okay, this guy has two World Series, and he led. He when he went to the Red Sox, he never let up, and he, he he got through his teams. And he was a dirt dog, a bulldog on the mound. All this stuff. Yeah, he had the fried chicken and beer issue, but there are a lot worse situations in the baseball writers minds and fried chicken and beer scandals it's A- aka I'm, re- I'm referring to steroids there if you <laughs> didn't get it um i don't think they'll be stubborn enough to keep him out i think they'll he'll get in eventually um but yeah either way great great career for the josh beckett and i think it's definitely the right time for him hanging up
0: well you know jerry un- yeah is 700 winning percentage in the postseason and as you know um- 2 and one and 1.16 ERA in the World Series. I mean, if those don't get him in or get him consideration, you know, I, I don't really know what would.
1: I think with those postseason numbers, you could put a subpar pitcher in there and, who had decent stats, who was on borderline, we'll give him those postseason numbers, and he's pretty much at least going to get a pretty damn good look if not going to get in. Um, those postseason, honestly, those postseason numbers could potentially get him... Maybe first ballot if they, if they consider his regular season numbers good enough, which I, I could see it. I could see that going either way, but I, I think it's hard for me to justify the writers if they didn't let him in. I think, at least with the steroid era, you have a reason to sit there and say, okay, well, the writers are just being stubborn. They're getting back at the players for ruining the game, which they didn't ruin the game. Side note, I like, it was a good time in baseball. So, you have to vote them in. I think the steroid guys should get in, but that's another conversation. Either way, um, I think you'd have to sit there and really question the writers if they didn't let him in because there's no reason really not to. There's nothing really on his record to show that he shouldn't get in except unless you really believe that his numbers weren't good enough. But I think numbers alone he definitely should get in at some point. I think he'll be recognized. Now, quick question for you on the him going in. Real quick, just give me a team. Which team do you think he goes in with the hat, Marlins or Red Sox?
0: I'd have to say Marlins. I mean, you know, that's that's where he began his glory. And, you know, that's where he won his first World Series. And, you know, that's that's where the most memorable moments are for him. I mean, I think if he went in Boston, there would be some fans who would be upset because of the fried chicken and beer, you know, not being a complete team player, you know, bailing on your team. So I'd, I'd just see it right him going in as a Florida Marlin.
1: Yeah, I kind of have to agree. I mean, it's probably a little tight. In that race, I think the fried chicken and beer might keep him out of a Red Sox hat, which I'm okay with. I mean, I get the whole he was a Marlin first. He won their World Series. He beat the Yankees. He beat the Empire when they were the Empire. Got drafted by so the
0: Marlins, got, so you know.
1: Got drafted by the Marlins. It, it kind of makes sense. It does. But, again, he'll always be remembered for what he did here as well. And I definitely agree that he'll probably go in with a Marlins hat if, if and when he does get voted in. Um, but, yeah, so overall, great 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 season. great season for him too, but great career and I think eventually down the road when he's eligible he will get voted in. Now another thing that Sean brought up was the idea of bringing Koji back and and other Red Sox thoughts, which I will get to one more in a second, but I think the big one for me was him saying like definitely bringing Koji back now I feel like the way Koji's mind works is like Sean, 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 okay well Sean suggested that Koji's better independent races and Koji's better under pressure well I feel like there's a huge drop off this year with Koji and I really believe that I, I, I really do believe that he is going to come back but I just don't think it's the right choice
0: you know he may well come back, but you know, so I, I would not necessarily jump the gun on bringing this guy back. I mean, you know, you, you do have to look a little bit long term in three or four years now. Do you want to bring back a guy who's only going to last one or two more years, and do you want to do you want to put a guy like Ruby De La Rosa at the back end of the bullpen, barring he has outstanding numbers against the lineup first time around, and do you want to maybe groom him into a rotation because? We maybe don't think the Red Sox are going to win the World Series next year, but when they are on the cusp of winning the World Series, won't you want to have that guy who's done it in the back end of the bullpen and who's ready and who's experienced back there rather than then starting to groom a guy barring that is not around?
1: I agree, but I also feel like that's also going to come to the time where the Red Sox finally decide that Ruby is not going to be a starter because I think they're still set on – they're not set on it, but I think they still – believe that they can maybe get some success from him in the rotation. I don't necessarily agree with that. But I do believe that coming bringing Koji back next year is at that point is almost a bridge transaction. More than anything, I think it's more of a bridge year. I think it's it'd be in terms of closer position. Now, if the Red Sox were to contend next year, like we believe they will um, now that this year is out of the way, I think that he realistically would help next year. In the short term, it would be nice to have him if they do contend and get back to there quickly next year. But overall, they do need to start worrying about after Koji because I think more or less he's going to have maybe one more year in him here with a decent amount of talent. So I think, for me, Ruby De La Rosa has got to be that option to start grooming him now, and I think the Red Sox need to really consider that. Um, But that's also another thing to look forward to. Now, the biggest thing... I kind of asked Sean was the whole Clayton Kershaw issue. Clayton Kershaw is really is really screwing himself over in terms of career in the postseason stats. He's okay, let, let's put it this way. Career uh ERA this season was a 1.77, 21 wins, 239 strikeouts, and then you come to the postseason, Laying egg, I think he's like 1 in 4 or something like that now career all time in the postseason. It's bad. and uh, like Sean said, I have to. I have to agree. I think next year is the year. If the do- next time, oh, I'll put it this way: next year, the, the Dodgers get into the playoffs. Most likely next year, he's got to prove something. new. He's got to do it. He's only got one more shot, or people are really going to start worrying about this kid.
0: Yeah, I think he does. And you know, a, a big move that the Dodgers did make today was bringing in uh, X Rays GM Andrew Friedman. Now I think he's going to help in the development of Clayton Kershaw because this guy's worked with some of the best pitchers in baseball. I mean, you got the Matt Moore's, you got the um, David Price, you got the Helixons. This guy knows how to develop pitch- pitchers. This guy knows who to bring in at the back end of the bullpen, who to bring in into the bullpen in general. And I think once he starts to make the moves during the regular season to you know shore up that bullpen. That will take some of the workload off Kershaw, you know, really cut down his innings. And I ultimately think that will lead to less injuries for the the young 26-year-old. And quite frankly, I think once the postseason hits, he won't be up there in the, the 240 innings. He'll he'll be down near the 200s, the 210s, and he'll just be ready to go and he won't be fatigued. Because I think that plays a big factor in why he struggled in the postseason.
1: Yeah, I I think – fatigue definitely has something to do with it I think I think that he um you could you can't you could see it kind of in the sense that he really um that's what I'm looking for the
0: look on his face I mean <laughs> yeah you, <laughs> you could, could you, tell. Could, you <laughs> could see
1: this you could see the struggle it was definitely a struggle for um for him to really pitch well and I I think that the hiring is definitely going to help and I think they really need to manage um, him next season now it's not considerably all the Dodgers fault I'm not throwing it all in the Dodgers I think there is some responsibility in his sense and he really needs to realize um that he's in the postseason I know he's trying and I'm not saying he's like oh well now I'm going to stop trying I'm so good I'm not kind of throwing that on Kershaw but I think that he really needs to really grind it out and I get he's tired he pitches it once every five days I will I will kind of not the same example but Koji last year was exhausted almost the entire season and he Grounded it out, grinded it out when he had to, and he made big saves and got big wins for the Red Sox all the way through the World Series. So, I definitely think the next postseason is going to really show who Kershaw is as a pitcher, whether he can really grind it out or if he is this guy who really is going to be battled by fatigue his whole career. And that also becomes another concern for the Dodgers whether they have to start managing him so early in his career versus not having. He's not even over thirty yet, so if you have to start managing him now, I think that's definitely a major concern long term when his when. You have to consider how long you want to have this guy around. Now, obviously, I'm not saying Shab Kershaw. like He's, a great, he's an ace. He's a great pitcher. But it's definitely something to be concerned about and have on their r- radar going forward. Now, I definitely want to uh, move on with the playoffs. Before I do, Nate, um, I'm throwing one at you really quickly here because I just definitely didn't tell you this beforehand, but I think you'll be okay with it. Uh, Chip Hale was hired as the Diamondbacks manager. Um, recently, and I, want, I just kind of want to get your quick thoughts on it. I think it's a good hire, but I definitely think the Diamondbacks need a couple years now to really transition into being a, a good team again.
0: Uh, you know, I do think it's a good hire, and one of the reasons I say it is because I think Chip's going to be able to uh, sit down with Paul Goldschmidt, be able to sit down with Mark Trumbo, and, you know, give them the star status that they want, you know, sit down with the pitchers, work with the pitchers, you know, they have guys down there in Arizona are just ready to break out in the pitching rotation. I mean, Wade Miley's a guy who has very good numbers. Patrick Corbin's a guy who's a very good pitcher. They have the keys on that team. It's just going to come down to building up that bullpen and, you know, having the play translate on the field. You know, you got a bunch of teams with big-name players, but if, if they can't get it down on the field, they're going to struggle. So, you know, I think this he's going to work with that team, you know, have a revamped lineup. He's going to have a revamped bullpen, and you know I see success for the Diamondbacks because you know before the uh, the Trumbo injury, the, it was all smooth sailing for them. They thought they were going to go deep in the playoffs, but you know once the Trumbo injury started to hit, then all this started to ravel down, and then Goldschmidt got hurt. So you know he's going to be he's going to have a healthy team, and I just think he's going to work wonders with this team going forward next year.
1: Yeah, I have to agree. Now, Chip Hale, seventh manager now in Diamondbacks history, um, came over from the A's staff. Now, I think, well, give you a little quick background of the way it went out. Is Kirk Gibson uh, was fired by the Diamondbacks like a week before the season was even over. I don't, they didn't, even, they didn't even, they just put him out of his misery. They didn't even wait till the season was over. And now, not even a month, barely, a, not even a month later, he's they found his replacement. So I think they had hail on their radar all along. I think they really wanted to go after this guy. And I think it's also helps Nate that he's coming from the A's. The A's know how to win. Yeah, they they struggled the second half of the season, but he knows what it's like to to do more with less. He's seen it happen. So and I think that with the right chemistry of players, I think you might see the Diamondbacks almost become the A's, only with probably more talent because Billy Bean's not their GM. <laughs> and I think that the Diamondbacks might Sneak up on us in a couple years, where they have the right core guys, and then they actually go out there and maybe sign some free, big name free a big name free agent once they have those pieces in play. And I think sneakily, you might see Hale have a successful team in a few years, maybe a few years sooner than we all think, because of where he's coming from in the A's.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, he knows he knows how to build a team. He's been around it. When he's with the A's, he's seen the pitchers come up. He knows what. Uh, Melvin's one from his pitches, and you know I think he'll bring that same mindset and philosophy over to Arizona, and he's got a he's got a similar team. Believe it or not, they just they just have not translated their play on the field. You know that was part of the A's issue. They they had the players, they had the arms, but the play was just not coming out on the field. And I think I think Arizona will turn it around in a few years, and they'll be right up there.
1: Yeah, I def- definitely definitely feel that. I feel strongly about that because. As, uh, as granted, as much as the A's have struggled in all the postseason stuff, I really believe that. Um, I really feel that he he knows where he knows what to do, and I think with the right potential and the GM down there and, the, and a good GM that's not Billy Bean. I love Billy Bean, I do, but I just he's got to stop with this money ball crap. I get they don't have money, but come on, He needs to figure something out because this this year was a true test of that, where he got he, he outthought himself or something because he just. Didn't make up for the lack of home runs that Cespedes was hitting and threw his team under the bus after that Lester trade. Did not need to happen, and it did. And you saw the down spiral of that proceeded to them losing to the Royals in the wild card game. Granted, they ran into a very hot Royals team, but I think he'll know what he's doing. He'll get to the Diamondbacks organization, and he really will push forward and really show the Diamondbacks what to do. And he's been in the Diamondbacks organization before. He spent 10 years there earlier in his in his career of coaching success. So I think that he going back there was definitely a good situation for him. And I think overall was definitely number one priority for the Diamondbacks these few weeks after the regular season has ended. That being said, before we move on, I just want to remind everyone that you can sign up for the CLNS Radio E Blast, which is semi-regular updates from us, news um, and all that stuff. You can look no further than here. Text on board to 22828 for free coverage. Also, you could go on to the Cionis radio website backslash team feed to get and sign up for those updates as well. Now, we've talked a lot so far, Nate. Uh, we talked to Sean Ferris earlier of MLB.com. We talked a lot about the Red Sox and what he felt was going to happen this offseason. gave us a surprise third baseman option. He gave us Koji coming back. He gave us a lot of good info. But now we hit on. What has been going on most exciting here in baseball and that's still the championship series that have been going on here in the postseason we have the Royals and the Giants two surprise teams breaking on the ALCS and we have the consistent Cardinals facing off against the Giants in the NLCS now the last five years Giants and uh, Cardinals have pretty much gone back and forth about who's represented the NL in the World Series now difference between the two teams the Giants have been bad and not made the playoffs really or not really made a good run the other years but the Cardinals have been consistently in the NLCS and really putting it there now before we come back to the AL to our bread and butter now Nate what do you think has really pushed the Cardinals to being so good and so consistent these last years that they can keep getting back to this NLCS and really keep battling for World Series so even though they haven't won one since the Albert Pujols trade
0: you know of course one guy you got to look at is Yeti and Molina which uh Molina leads to the pitching, you know, they've had pitching left and right, you know, they've had Wainwright, they've had Carpenter, they've had Kelly, they've had Waka, they have just had the guys that have been able to come out and have been able to throw gems in postseason, they they have just been able to get anyone who ever steps into the plate out, you know, and these some of these guys that you would never heard of before they came up, like Waka, uh, Kelly, you know, They've just been able to pitch consistently. And, you know, another thing that they've been doing is developing young hitters uh, like Craig. I mean, Craig was a good guy for them. He had very good regular season numbers, didn't pan out in the postseason. But, you know, their farm system is outstanding. I think they rank uh, in MLB.com. I think they have the fourth best farm farm system. And, you know, you can really see that. And when you can develop pitching and you can have starters in the bullpen, That can really lengthen the game, and that can really make the other team miserable.
1: Yeah, I definitely think the farm system's definitely a top, obviously top five, ranked top four, like you said, but I think the biggest difference between the Cardinals and most teams is their developing of those prospects. Now, we've made an argument here for the Red Sox that they are just not doing the right things with their prospects, obviously screwing up Xander Bogarts and moving him over and getting in his head and uh, overvaluing Jackie Bradley in center field this year, I think the Red Sox have the talent, but they're not nurturing them the right way. Whereas the Cardinals might not have the amount of prospects that the Red Sox have, because the Red Sox, I believe, have the top-ranked prospect system, if that's not, if I'm not wrong. But the Cardinals, I think, have the best, if not top three, systems in terms of being and coaching staff to nurture these guys and really teach them and really get them to play well. And I think they they see their talent and they know what's going on. And like they, they haven't all the big name prospects are that they have really come to get and really try to prosper they, they've been successful and even Alan Craig who came here on the in the trade for the for uh Lackey until this year until his injury issues he was very good for that team and he was an all-star and a lot of people here in Red, in Red Sox Nation are expecting him to try to potentially get back to those ways next year now I don't know if that's possible because I think he's kind of getting a step slower and the injuries don't help but I think that they really Alan Craig it could still have some potential and that's out of his prime. So I think that Alan Craig was an, even a great one for him, like you said. So I think the Cardinals have been consistent for so good and so good for so long. And realistically, it's been since the Red Sox played them in the 0-4 World Series that they've just been consistently hanging around. And that's, that's 10 years in the making. And they, it's hard to do that because seen, we've seen the Red Sox go up and down and really more down than up since 2004. Yeah, we have three World Series, which I'll take any day of the week. But I almost have to consider the Cardinals like the Patriots of Major League Baseball.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, they're just stuck to their ways. They develop players left and right, and, you know, they always seem to be there. You know, whether they're winning it with a Chris Carpenter on the mound, or whether they're winning it with a Joe Kelly. I mean, it's just unbelievable what that team's done.
1: It really is, and it, it's a, and intriguing to see them going forward here against the Giants. I have to say I'm definitely picking the Cardinals in this NLCS due to that consistent factor, and, but no, the Giants not aren't... Not looking and,
0: too good right now.
1: No, I definitely think that Yadier Molina not being in tonight's game and moving forward, who knows? They're keeping him on the roster in hopes that he will play in the NLCS. And also a tidbit there, if he was to not stay on the NLCS roster, he would not be eligible for the World Series. So I think part of that move is to say they have faith in their team to get to the World Series, and then hopefully by then, Molina will be healthy or somewhat healthy enough to play and really get his factor in. Because to Molina's point... Another big thing, he's a factor. Like you said, the pitching is a big thing. He really knows how to call a game. He, the catchers And pitchers really have confidence in his catching. But you also have to realize that this year, I forget the exact number, but I noticed that teams have the fewest stolen bases when playing the Cardinals because of Yadier Molina. He knows how to throw guys out at second base. And teams just have, at this point have stopped trying. You, know, you noticed it. The Giants still have stolen a decent amount of stolen base, bases this year, but against the Cardinals they haven't made the effort until hopefully – for their sake they start getting get it going now. AJ Presinsky is gonna be catching Lackey in game three and you have to think that with one, with Lackey on the mound, and two with with I know Przezinski has a decent arm, but with Molina not back there, you gotta think that they're gonna start running now and Molina really does back to Molina, he really does know how to throw guys out and he has that eye. I think that's another big factor too, Nate.
0: Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think teams will definitely take advantage of the Cardinals, or the Giants in particular, without Yadier Molina. I mean, this is a catcher who goes out consistently and hits 300 to 315 and, you know, just just throws out about 85% of the runners, which he throws out runners at a ridiculous rate. He has one of the fastest times getting the ball out of his glove and delivering it to second base. And, you know, right now they're really – Missing his presence. I mean, I'm just looking at the score right now, and they're uh, down 4 nothing. I mean, you can definitely see, I think they're a team who loses a little bit of confidence without, you know, arguably their best player in the lineup.
1: Yeah, Molina has definitely been, he is the heart and soul of that team as well. as considerably the best player, like you said. And, like you said, bottom second inning, and they're already down 4 nothing to a Giants team. Yeah, it, you expect the Giants to at least win one of maybe if not two of these games at home considering this is the first game they've played in San Francisco this series and the Cardinals were uh, honestly after Molina left game two they were lucky to squeak away with a walk-off homer in the bottom of the ninth the Giants came back and tied it in the top of the ninth and really I really believed in that game that the Giants were going to come through and win that game I thought there was all the momentum was on San Francisco's side Molina had just left the game and already been a a few pass balls and the pass ball was one that caused the game to be tied so I think that the Cardinals really took advantage of the situation and really kind of squeaked away with the win winning game Two to tie the series up. But like you said, Giants up 4 nothing now and potentially winning this game. And I think that the Giants have to think that they have the upper hand now with Molina not healthy if not playing in the rest of the NLCS at all depending on his situation. But the Giants have looked good so far. Now, one thing I want to talk about is my guy. I love him. Love him to death. Great pitcher, Jake Peavy love Jake Peavy. I always tell people I love Jake Peavy. You know how much I love P- Jake Peavy. Nate, he's my guy. He's a workhorse. I love pitchers like him. I love his intensity. He's like the Kevin Garnett of baseball. He yells at himself, curses at himself, and everyone just knows to ignore it because he's talking to himself. It's the best. I love it. That's why I'm a big fan of him. He didn't pitch too great la- the other night, but he didn't pitch horribly. Only went four in- four I believe it was only four innings, but I think it was just because of his pitch count was so high. And then the battle of bullpens took over. But I think P V has looked good so far this postseason. I don't think there's any way to dispute that. And I think he's going to have a big hand in, in helping the Giants get past this consistent Cardinals program.
0: Yeah, Jake Peavy has pitched very well since going over to the Giants, and he's really revamped that pitching rotation. I mean, the the, the rotation seemed kind of dead, to be honest with you, before Peavy arrived. And, um, you know, he's been a great complement in a rotation that's down Matt Kane. but he has really been able to complement Tim Hudson because although this, around the same age, you know, they're a different type of pitcher. One's a ground ball pitcher, one's a fastball pitcher. You know, that's what the... The Giants have really built themselves on a rotation who can, you know, offer a change of scenery every time you're out there. You know, when they were winning the World Series, they had the Lincecumbs, the Zitos, the Canes, and now, you know, they're doing it with a, um, excuse me, they're doing it with Peavy and Hudson. And it's quite fascinating how Peavy's just turned his season around and, you know, he's just an NL pitcher, flattened. Flat and simple, he just pitches in the NL, and, you know, when he was pitching at San Diego winning the Cy Youngs, there's just something about the NL, maybe the pitcher in the lineup, I'm not sure, but, you know, I definitely wouldn't come back to the AL if I was him.
1: No, I think he has to realize now that his success, as much as he pitched well last year for the Red Sox after he came there, he, his, his NL career has obviously been that much better, and the numbers, I'm sure, do not lie. Obviously, not right; they're not right in front of me. I won't lie and make up some weird number because they're not in front of me. But I guarantee you, if you go look up the numbers, his numbers will be 10 times better than they are in the AL. Even general, just versus the AL, never mind, when he's pitching as for an AL team. It's just, he, he loves the NL. He thrives in the NL. Some pitchers just are meant to be in the NL, and he really is. And I think he is going to have great success moving forward when he if he pitches again in the NLCS or in the World Series. Now, Tim Hudson, this is the second start of the postseason and doing well so far, struck out A.J. Perzynski, uh in the first inning to leave Wong stranded at second base. Um, I think Porzynski needs to really be a big factor now. And obviously, the Cardinals are happy they got him now that Molina's health injury is in set, is in question. But I think Hudson really is going to have something to prove here, that he still has what it takes to win, and I think he's he's definitely proving it today so far, and I think he's going to continue to prove it going forward.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, Tim Hudson seems to be a staple around baseball. I mean, you know, he's got... Probably the best sinker in all of baseball. And, you know, he is really showing his worth at San Francisco. He's been a nice pickup for them. And as I'm going to mention again, especially with Kane gone, you know, and you could see Atlanta missing him this year. You know, they brought in Irvin Santana. Irvin Santana wasn't quite able to be that ace that they needed. And Tim Hudson's a very good pitcher for any team. You know, he just slides in as maybe a two or three. And he's pitched well this postseason. He's found something in him
1: have to agree there and I I've always I've always been a Tim Hudson fan um he's had a great career so far and, and, and he looks to continue that with the Giants this postseason run he's doing of course well so far um shifting to the AL here Nate because who would honestly honestly and this is our bread and butter because we cover the Red Sox so we, we obviously more NL people at least in my opinion I am more of an NL person and a fan than NL and I like the style of baseball better but Kansas City Royals and the Baltimore Orioles are playing in the ALCS. At the beginning of this year, if you told me, if you told Nate, if you told anybody here, anywhere, who was a baseball fan, said Baltimore Orioles, Kansas City Royals, ALCS, come October, mark it down, we all would have laughed in your face and said, "You you don't really get baseball, go watch some other sport. Because no one in their right mind would have picked the Royals and the Orioles to play each other in the ALCS. Never mind the Royals or the Orioles to make the playoffs. I definitely, I had the Orioles pretty like mid-halfway in down in the division this year, not making the playoffs, barely making a wild card, if they did. Well, that being said, they're over 90 wins on the season and made the, and won the won the AL East, which was awful besides them this year, but pretty sure most people didn't pick them to win because most people probably picked the Red Sox or the Yankees to have a good year with the Rays always being that pesky team who doesn't go away, but this year's division was not normal. This year's ALCS is not normal with the Royals playing the Orioles, The Orioles haven't won a home game. They just lost two in a row in the ALCS at home. What is it with these Royals, and what is it that's really going to probably put them in the World Series and potentially win a World Series for the first time in a long time, Nate? There's just something about this team, and I don't know what to say about them, but they really are basically the 2013 Red Sox, aren't they?
0: Yeah, they are, and I mean, you know... Adding to something you said, when I predicted the uh, going into this year, I didn't have the Orioles even making the playoffs. I mean, I thought yeah. last year, you know, it was just a fluke. They had a bunch of good guys who wanted to come out, wanted to win a few games, you know. They made a run, you know. But one of the deciding factors was, you know, Jim Johnson was outstanding for them last year. they closer. He had 50-something saves. And, you know, I just thought the loss of him was going to do him in. And, you know, it's been remarkable. This team, the bullpen now with Andrew Miller, you know, Britain's been able to close games, you know, they've been able to do it top to bottom without weeders, you know, now they got Cruz in there, they got Hardy, who's one of the shorthanded shortstops in the league, you know, they're doing it, and it's just remarkable, I mean, they're playing small ball, they're not they're not going for the home runs, you know, the pitching's been there, which is one of the, di. Yeah, you know, the question marks for this team, pitching. And it, it's just been there, and it's remarkable what this team's done. It, to make it this far, without Matt Wieters, who's, pro, in my opinion, their best player, I, I just can't fathom how they'd do it. That would be like the Cardinals making the World Series without Molina. I, I couldn't imagine how they'd do it.
1: Yeah, to the Baltimore Orioles, they, obviously, but no, none of us picked them to win the division, no chance, but I think the biggest Pickups for them was were
0: um,
1: Cruz, def- was definitely Nelson Cruz. Definitely Nelson Cruz has been a huge factor for them. Red Sox just missed out on them. But I think the big one that people kind of forget about and sleep on, if you don't really pay too much attention, is Andrew Miller. Miller is a was a proven guy, big, tall lefty coming from the Red Sox at the trade deadline, and he's been big for them in key situations. He knows how to get down. He's a big lefty. He can pitch against righty, so it's not just a one and done with him. And I think he's been a key factor to really bolstering that bullpen. That's already very was fantastic before he got there, and I think he filled the one hole that they needed. And they've been phenomenal together, especially with Andrew Miller there.
0: Yeah, Miller's been very good for them. Uh, I mean, he's got a one three five ERA. He's got better numbers in Baltimore, <laughs> remarkably, than he did in Boston. You know, he's he just fits in that market, and he you know he looks like an Oriole, and that's he's. I hope they get far because, you know, I like Miller. I think he's a good player, and I think he could wind up back on the Red Sox.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see Miller back in the Red Sox uniform come spring training. I think the Red Sox definitely had that in their mind when they let him go that way, and I think he even wants to come back. He obviously brought it up a few times in his interviews right after the deadline, but I think he's taking advantage of this opportunity, and the Red the Orioles are potentially on the verge of winning a World Series if they can come back from this hole against the Royals, but... I don't think they will. I think the Royals have so much momentum behind them. They basically become America's team because I feel like everyone who's just kind of watching the playoffs are sitting here and seeing what the Royals have done in their, in their heads. Most people who just casually watch baseball think, Oh, when did the Royals ever get good? They've always been so bad. All I have is a, a waterfall in the back of their, on the center of their field. They've never been good. It's an easy three wins for any team that goes in there. That's not true anymore. And these Royals are proving it with James Shields leading that, leading that staff as their ace and, I also want to be ha- throw this in your face, Nate that I'm happy that Sean said that he-, he could be an ace pitcher and he's a bulldog. so happy he said that um, I'm just like keeping track of who we have on here who says James Shield is an ace. gonna get my fa- final number when they sign him and let you know it's gonna be exciting I'm keeping track I want to win this one um, but off my side happiness rant there um, I have a, a Bleacher report article in front of me basically just saying that they're America's team and all this stuff, which we, we could sit and know by watching. We don't have to read these articles. But also, I wanted, they, they, they looked it up, and TBS's uh, television ratings went up 26% comparing last year's league championship series to this year's. Now, last year's was the NL, and that was Dodgers-Cardinals. That was supposed to be a good series, and it wasn't. And that this year, it's 4.3 million total viewers have tuned in compared to the 3.4 million that was last year. Now, last year, everyone the Dodgers are supposed to be this marquee team who were trying to be good, and, and they have Puig, and they had all this, and they couldn't draw more fans than the Royals could to watch their games?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's pretty funny. I mean, you know, maybe Los Angeles just isn't a baseball market. You know, it's, it's sure not really a hockey market, in my opinion, and it's really tough to have a sports team in Los Angeles with all the teams in California and really thrive.
1: Yeah, it's t- it's tough, and I, I agree that LA is more. I think LA's biggest market is basketball, obviously with the Lakers and the Clippers. And I just think that this team, I just, I just, it's crazy to think to me that they're not going to do anything the way they're. What's the word I'm looking for? The way they're playing, and the way, uh the way that they're playing is just—they have America on their back. They're they're a Cinderella team, and. I will. I have a stat in front of me, and this is mind-blowing. And this definitely favors Kansas City. Uh, since the creation of the LCSs, like the League Championship Series, in 1969, no team has ever lost a series after winning the first two games on the road. That means that with all, the Orioles struggling to find some offense, they have history. Off, not the Orioles also have history on their side now, saying that no one's ever done what they could possibly do. Now in Red Sox Nation. We don't worry about that because look what happened in those four. So, obviously, we don't count anything for granted because we did something that no one had ever done. So, maybe the Orioles have that in them. Maybe they'll do something that history has never had happen before. We don't know that. But there's a good good chance that the Royals will be able to finish this thing in Kansas City because now it's with a 2 3 2 format, Nate, which I'm not a fan of, obviously, with travel and everything, it makes sense in baseball. But I don't like, I wish they did a 2 2 1 1 1 just because the home field advantage really goes away if you lose a game at home and obviously it tells you puts more emphasis on the winning games at home but I just feel like they overall I just don't think that it really benefits anyone except I mean, now the Royals who they even came out and, uh, I forget who it was Nate if you can pop this reminder in my head but today one of the Royals players came out and said that if if uh, that he doesn't think it even, it's even going to go back to Baltimore
0: yeah I'm not too positive. Who you're talking about I didn't catch that um But it very well couldn't go back to Baltimore. I mean, the Royals have been playing excellent baseball. And I just want to pop a number on you right now. And, you know, coming off James Shields, he does worry me. Bring him as the ace for this Sox team. I mean, I've seen him struggle in the postseason. And, you know, his last start only going five innings, allowing ten hits and four runs to – a Baltimore lineup who's not very deep, that worries me. That worries me anchoring the top of the Red Sox rotation if they are serious about making a deep postseason run. i uh, He just worries me. That, is there something about his, his 519 five ERA in the postseason career and his 429 winning percentage. It just worries me. I just do not think he, he can come in here and be this postseason pitcher the Red Sox need.
1: I think that Stats are definitely eye-opening sometimes, and I think it's hard for most fans to look at those numbers and compare them to other guys like Scherzer and Lester and say he should be the first guest. But I think that Shields is probably, besides Lester, obviously, who I don't think is coming back, Shields is probably the next guy in terms of fitting into the locker room aspect of what the Red Sox want to be. And if you can figure out a way to get a decent rotation with Shields at the top of it and have the offense be successful next year, which looks like it should be with what they have now and what they plan to add possibly – I think Shields can do one heck of a job leading this team in the postseason, um, but it, it obviously uh, it is alarming that he can't get past this, this Orioles offense. That, it Obviously, like you said, is isn't too deep, but does have some talent. Now, I just looked it up, Nate. The, uh, it was Jared Dyson, the outfielder for the Royals. Now, he's obviously not really a key factor. He's the kind of the platoon guy for the Royals, so I don't know how much stock you take in that, but Jared Dyson did say that comments won't uh, the fact that he basically said that they are not going back to Baltimore.
0: Yeah, that's kind of funny, you know, a bench player doing the talking kind of similar to our Brandon Spikes couldn't quite back his talking up, but uh, switching gears (laughs) to baseball. I mean, you know, like I said, it very well may not go back to Baltimore, you know, tonight's game. I mean, this is do or die here, you know, Guthrie versus Chen. They've got to beat way in Chen. His is mind blowing as a 16 wins are. You know he's a guy who you got to bear down if you're Baltimore, and you got to play some small ball. You got to get runs on the board early, and you just got to build your lead. And no two ways about it, you have to beat
1: Chen. Yeah, it's definitely a tall task um, beating Chen, but I think they—I definitely think that's possible. Now, um, a lot of people have questioned, questioned the Royals' manager Ned Yost for his sometimes questionable decisions, but hey, small ball is working for them. Even though they're in the AL, they've been playing small ball all year, working the base pass and really have a a recipe for success. Do you still believe in Ned Yost as a manager of this team going forward, even whether it's not, obviously they have the magic behind them, but obviously there were some iffy decisions made by him uh, throughout the postseason. What am I going to ask you? Oh, yeah. So what, do you think that Ned Yost is still considered a top manager in this league now that he, where he has his team going forward in the ALCS and possibly the World Series?
0: Well, top manager, absolutely not. Uh, viable manager, average manager, sure. I mean, you, you got to consider a guy who's who's got his team in the American League Championship Series. You got to consider him a pretty good manager. Like I said, he's, he's nowhere like a Terry Francona, in my opinion, or anything like that. But he's got his guys playing good ball. He's similar to Clint Hurdle, and down in Pittsburgh, you know, they got two teams, inspired fan bases, playing inspired baseball. And, you know, that's what you really need when you're a manager with a young team. you just got to gotta have that it factor. you got to have something that draws the fans out to the park, something that gets the players ramped up. And, you know, he's been doing it this year, and we'll see going into next year how the Kansas City Royals are able to keep that team together and how they're able to perform early in next year.
1: Yeah, I have to agree with that one, especially with the loss of James Shields looming in the offseason regardless of how they do. Not a big Um, loss. It's going to be a decent shoe to fill considering what they've put on his shoulders this year and what he's done for them. But I think overall the Royals definitely have your chance now. Nate, this time next week we will be past the League Championship Series and have the World Series in our sights. What do you think we're going to see from the World Series matchup? Now, I I want you to give me a prediction now before we get into it next week. Who do you have winning the World Series this year out of these Final Four teams?
0: Winning the World Series, oh, that's a tough question, you know. I can't quite predict that far into it. I need to see who gets there. But, you know, who I do see getting there is I do see the Giants making the World Series. And I just think the Orioles are going to come back and the Orioles are going to get there. And between the Giants and Orioles, I'll let you know on next week's show. But it should be interesting to see. I hope I'm right because, you know, like I said, I want to see Andrew Miller get there. I want to see Jake Peavy succeed. And I want to see uh, Red Sox alumni come on, to- cut on, come out on top this year. That's what I want to see.
1: I have to agree with you there. We are out of time, unfortunately, though, for this week of Red Sox beat. I know you're all sad. I am, too. We love talking arms baseball, but we'll get back to you next week. Uh, before we get off here, I just want to remind you all that um, obviously you can st- you can still get on board here with CLNS if you want to get on board um, by supporting your board member t-shirt. If you go to patreon.com backslash CLNS Radio and plus the nine ninety nine option to receive your free t-shirt and so much more. We appreciate the any donations at all, even a dollar is more than more than generous enough on your part. We love giving you this coverage for free, and, and any support helps us to keep being able to do that. Um, But other than that, that's another week in the wraps here on Red Sox Beat. Uh, Next week, we've got a World Series to talk about. I'm going to hold off on my prediction as well because we're going to tease that for next week. How exciting. Uh, Nate and I will give you our World Series predictions, and I will tell you who will win between the Kansas City Royals and the San Francisco Giants. I believe the Royals will get there and, and do their thing, but I think that... We will hold off our picks for next week. I think it's, it gives you it gives you a good reason to tune in. So until next week, until our World Series predictions are made next week on Red Sox Beat, my name is Jared Skelly alongside Nathan Rollins. And until next episode, enjoy this, the rest of the League Championship Series. Enjoy the talks leading up to the World Series. And enjoy some possibly Red Sox postseason news as well. So until then, have a good week, everyone.